Fan Epps. Welcome back to another edition of the Camera Books Podcast, Above and Beyond. On this episode, I interview Nick Barlow. Nick is a former Army officer. He started his career in the Army as a tanker, as an armor officer, and, uh, and transitioned to the Finance Corps about halfway through his seven years in the Army. When he transitioned, he came to a Camera Books conference in November of 2015. He transitioned to Johnson & Johnson obviously global healthcare company. And specifically, he went to work for the operating company, Depew Synthes. Depew Synthes is a um, the or- medical device orthopedic company within Johnson & Johnson. So in this conversation, we talk a little bit about Depew Synthes. We talk about his role in the marketing department, what he was responsible for, and what he was working on. I think the interesting thing about this conversation is about three years into his career at J&J, they had a massive restructuring, a reorganization, where they basically allocated more resources to the field-based organization out with customers, and therefore they eliminated some roles within the corporate headquarters, specifically within the marketing department, which Nick was a part of. And he kind of explains all of that and how that plays out. And Nick made the transition over to Zimmer Biomed. Zimmer Biomed is another medical device company um, and doing a similar role within the marketing department. So what I think is so interesting about this this conversation is Nick got laid off and he explains what he did in the process, how he handled it, where he took his career next and, and how he was able to parlay the skills and the experiences he learned at Johnson & Johnson and through the Cameron Rooks process, frankly, to land a job at Zimmer Biomet, and he's continuing his career, and he's continuing to grow and be successful in his career. So very interesting, very different than many of the conversations we've had with officers, because he's actually been through a, a pretty tough situation and certainly come out um, come out on the other side and, and, and really continuing to flourish in his business career. So I thought that would be an interesting perspective and an interesting take for this forum and this podcast to help you learn, see more about, okay, what if something like that were to happen, what that might actually look like. So um, great conversation with Nick. If you want to know more about Nick, you can check out, check him out on his LinkedIn profile. If you want to know more about Cameron Brooks, just go to our website, Cameron-Brooks.com. Lots of material, lots of content that you can use to learn more about who we are, what we do, as well as learn more about what a transition through camera books might look like. Okay, let's get on to the conversation. Here's my uh, here's my dialogue with Nick. All right, Nick, thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks for taking a couple minutes out of your day today. Hey, Pete, thanks for having me. Okay, well, so you you came back you came to a conference uh, about four and a half years ago. So let's kind of go all the way back before the conference and just give, give us all a rundown very quickly. We don't have to spend too much time on this, but Tell us who who you were in the military and what you did. All right, so I was I, I spent uh, nine years active duty in the Army, and that's actually comprised from uh, National Guard time when I was enlisted, and then seven years as a J- JMO. I initially got my commission as a second lieutenant in the Armor Corps uh, as branch detail to finance. So everyone who's not exclusively familiar with that, my first three years was as a 19 series um, 19 Alpha you know, armor platoon leader. And then I transitioned into the finance corps at the captain career course. And then I formally became a 36 alpha, which is a finance officer for the last four years I was active duty in the army. 
Gotcha. Why, um, how did that all work? Why were you armor than finance? Did you choose that or did the Army choose that for you? Yeah, it's actually a path that you know, you can choose, and it's one that I did choose for myself. I knew when I was you know back in college as a, a young uh, aspiring officer, I knew I wanted to go have a, I guess a quote unquote like real army experience, you know, being in the combat arms, being part of the maneuver forces. But I also knew that long term, I thought my life had a, a greater calling and purpose than simply just you know maneuvering and crushing everything in front of me. So I, when I heard about the branch detail program. I, I jumped on board with it because once you get, you know, beyond those company grade years, you know, you really become a, well, you know, like, like the way that you lead in, you know, in the military becomes more of like a, a, a business or a corporate, you know, allocating resources where you need to be as opposed to simply doing, you know, that frontline task. And I knew as I grew as a both a professional soldier and officer and as a person, I would want to do those tasks as well in addition to those initial ones. So I found the branch detail um, opportunity to be exactly what I was looking for. Gotcha. Um, you were almost you were in this program for about 21 months in the development and preparation program before you came to the conference. What do you think the most value? Think through, throw, think back through that time. I guess maybe my first question is, why were you in our program or this program so long? What 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 was the driver behind that? Would you say? Well, it's really interesting because I had first um, had been um, assigned command of a finance attachment um, a couple months before I joined the program, and I knew at that point in time I really enjoyed the company grade type of experiences. I didn't really want to go to those really super high echelons of the military, and I decided at that point in time, uh, a couple months after I had assumed uh, command, I told my uh, commander that I was going to you know, uh, tender my resignation, you know, I assume you typically get 12 to 18 months of time in command in the military, and I would do my you know, year, year and a half of command, and then I would, you know, uh, get out. Uh, once, the, uh, once uh, uh, literally <laughs> a week after I had um, told him that, the, you know, Ebola virus disease broke out a week after that, the, uh, you know, then President Obama came out and, you know, said we were, you know, we were going to send U.S. forces uh, to help contain the Ebola virus disease. And then a week after that, I was uh, told I was deploying to Liberia, Africa, to, to help contain the Ebola virus disease as part of Operation Aid Assistance. I did not want to be in the type of any situation where my pending resignation impacted my ability to command the soldiers that I was leading or to essentially be sent home early. So I had committed verbally to submitting my resignation packet, but never had done that. I ended up being deployed for about seven and a half months um, in association association with OUA. And because of that, I you know, called uh, yourself and Joel and let, let you guys know I was deploying and that I wanted to stay in the program, but that I wasn't going to be hitting the, I think I was really scheduled for like the April conference in, in right. 2014. Ended right. up going to November 2015 conference. I mean, just, you know, delayed the, you know, you know, the actual conference I attended. So really yeah. it was just a flexibility that you guys let me have, you know, going out serving yeah. the country and then coming back and going to conference. Yeah. Tell me, yeah, I appreciate that. How, um, what do you think the most valuable thing to you was in your 20 months in this program? What do you think you appreciated the most about the, about the DPP? Uh, the fact that I actually had a lot of time in the program and I actually had a bit longer than, than others is it just gave me more time to prepare. I didn't just skim through the reading list. I read 
every page of every book. You know, I did multiple iterations of the, the DPP questions. Uh, when I did return back to Fort Campbell once the deployment was over, um, I I'd actually found a, a couple more folks um, in the, you know, that were in the program locally and actually, you know, met another young officer who was as motivated as I was to go out and, you know, study the questions. And then, you know, because of that, we, we probably met six or eight times over a five-month span just going to Starbucks, just quizzing each other's questions before the, the conference happened. So just having more time just helped me prepare better. Gotcha. Okay, so when you when you launched your career, you went to Johnson & Johnson and specifically to Depew Synthes. So many people probably haven't heard that company name before, Depew Synthes. Tell us who that is and and what's the relationship with Johnson & Johnson, just so people can understand what an operating company is, things like that. Just give us a little high-level view of not only Depew, but its relationship to Johnson & Johnson. Yeah, absolutely. So Depew Synthes is a uh, player in the medical device industry. They focus on joint recon and trauma medical devices. So if you need to get a hip or a knee replaced because of osteoarthritis, they you know sell products and services that help orthopedic surgeons replace those joints and then if you're ever in a you know god forbid a horrible car accident or you know fall off a tree or something and you break you know break your bones you know literally there are plates and screws and nails all sorts of things that get used by traumatologists or orthopedic surgeons to put your body back together so you, you heal and Depucentes plays in that space so Depucentes is one of the family of Johnson & Johnson companies there's uh, it, it kind of varies from <laughs> from month to month literally you know there's around 250 ish give or take a couple of uh, companies that all work under Johnson & Johnson in three distinct segments. One is their consumer industry, and you think of things like um, baby shampoo or Tylenol. Uh, one sure. of them is their um, med, um, the med device industry like I was in, and, and the other, it's all about you know metal and plastic, you know, joint implants. And then uh, the last one is the pharmaceutical section. Uh, Janssen, I think, is the most popular company there. Um, they actually made a... a, a um, uh, a vaccine for the uh, Ebola virus, actually, uh, about a year and a half after I came back from the that the deployment uh, to to Liberia. So it was actually you know, see go full circle from you know, disease starting all the you know containment and then a virus um, a vaccine on the back end. So J and J is an operating company, just has a whole bunch of companies that all kind of like work under collectively the, the, the Johnson Johnson brand. Right. Why? Um... What was the most interesting thing about the company to you? Why did you go to work there? Well, there were there were two things. One is the just the absolute novelty of the of the opportunity. So when I went to the conference, I had I think eleven or twelve different interviews. Half of them were for manufacturing, half of them were for for sales. And they had this one marketing role. It was the very last thing I. And very last interview that I, that I attended at the conference, it was the first company I'd never heard of. Um, my wife, who attended the conference with me, she was a, um, a surgical technician uh, by trade in the Air National Guard, so she knew kind of some of the medical device space. And when she heard that I interviewed with Synthes, like she really, you know, enlightened me on how prestigious the the name is in the medical device industry, how the high quality of the products, you know, the extreme, you know, professional and competent partnerships that they maintain with surgeons. And this is something that amongst all the other opportunities that were available, I, I needed to take as seriously as all of them. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, gotcha. Um, let's talk a little bit about that job. Okay, so let's just, you walked into the role 
as an associate marketing manager? Let's start there. What, what does that even mean? So, in you know every corporation, you know there. Uh, well, let me say in, in all the large corporations, big corporations, you know there's a similar type of pay bands and pay scales, just like there are ranks in the military, and okay. you essentially you do. Once you're an associate marketing manager, you can be promoted to become a marketing manager, and you can be a you know an associate marketing director, and then a full-blown director, and it's no different than being a lieutenant, a captain, a major, or the you know lieutenant colonel, kind of climbing up the marketing ranks. When you're at the lower levels, an associate marketing manager, you typically have responsibilities for a project or a product. Um, in my particular case, I was assigned for a project. Um, I didn't have a direct product ownership role. I was in um, essentially hired because they were doing uh, J&J at the time was doing an evidence campaign, which totally um, demonstrated the efficacy of, of the products that, were, that the Pew Synthesis was making. Um, they had launched a new knee implant probably about two years prior to me joining the company. And essentially what happens is it takes two or three years for clinical studies to be funded, to get teams together, to get investigators out, to start implanting, and then, you know, start reviewing those results. And right at that time when all this stuff was coming to fruition is when I joined the company. So I was primarily responsible for, you know, using, you know, for creating value propositions and demonstrating the clinical evidence behind the the tomb knee system. Okay, so so tell, sorry, forgive my ignorance here. What it, tell me what that means? You were you were that's your project, but you were doing what now? Tell me tell me more. Okay, so I was responsible for essentially creating marketing collaterals, uh, brochures, um, pamphlets, uh, longer what were called white papers in the medical device industry, which are you know, things that are authored by surgeons that use your, your products and like, like those types of things. So just creating a lot of marketing content would be a high level way to answer the question. And who, and who were you creating content for? So I had a couple different customers. Um, when you look at the medical device industry, you have three primary customers. One is your physician. Those are the folks actually using your product to implant things. One is yep. are the payers. So those are the insurance companies uh, they're called gpos group purchase organizers i think that's what the acronym stands for hospital systems you know folks that are actually buying those things and then the actual like i should have said this first that being a patient these are the folks who are actually using your or get the products and you know, implant into them to to restore their life so uh, those are the three different types of customers that there are and then you know the, the value message that you bring to each one of them is dramatically different from the other two so I had to essentially use the same types of tools you know, to build different stories for different customers. No different than you oh. would, you know, go out and, you know, talk about your, your skills differently in a sales role interview than you would differently for, you know, interview to be a consultant and then also, you know, a manufacturing supervisor, et cetera. So you, you're creating material, white papers, pamphlets, that sort of thing, for either the physician the payer or the uh, patient. patient, but you're not out there on the street. So are you creating products that the sales team brings to these people, the patient, the customer, the whoever? Tell, tell me more about the relationship there. Yes, absolutely. So the sales team are the folks who go in and see, you know, they go into hospitals, they see surgeons day in and day out. Um, my particular role was to provide them with you know, the various types of marketing collaterals to demonstrate the value of our products. 
Uh, we also have uh, pretty large or, uh, contracting teams and all the medical device industry uh, companies, and they also need you know different types of you know brochures, presentations, you know that type of thing. So I would prevent, you know, create different types of collaterals for those various types of customers to have conversations with the actual customers. So how did how did you know what to make? Let's say that. You know, you were gonna you were on the project to you know demonstrate the efficacy of a product, and but you know how were you getting what what was the feedback loop like? How did you know what to make basically? It, the the demand came from a couple of different places. Um, there was a pretty robust clinical evidence generation program put in place by the two synthes. So as the various studies concluded and became um, to the point where statistical analysis was done and we could actually market on the materials. That became an obvious source of, well, the study's done, now it's time to start sharing this. Uh, other other feedback would come from either the contracting team or from the sales team. And they would say, hey, like, I'm glad you're talking about this, but we need to know about that. Can you talk about that? And some of it would be more specific and nuanced ways of the surgical technique on how the, the products were implanted. You know, things maybe not just some clinical evidence, but also uh, a, a metric in the industry that's called um, patient report outcome measures, uh, uh, doing a prom. You know, some of the studies, you know, focus specifically on that, and then it would be, you know, maybe the different audience wanted to know more about how patients were feeling with the, with the implants as opposed to specifically um, <clears throat> what are the features and benefits that could help a surgeon interoperatively. So the feedback you know, would come from really all the various customers on the different needs that they had. So tell me a little bit about all your medical device experience before getting to Depew. How much did you have? Absolutely zero. I mean, I did take a combat lifesaver course in the Army, so that's like four days of how to use Band-Aids and do CPR. <laughs> Beyond that, I had nothing. Okay, so you sound, obviously you've been in, you've been in this industry for almost five years, so you, you should sound knowledgeable, obviously, but... Tell me what was the number one thing that helped you get up to speed? Because, you know, if you think about it, you're international studies major from Ohio State. You were an, an armor officer, then a finance officer. And now we're talking about the medical device industry and products and customers and collateral and feedback. And you, you sure know what you're talking about now. What was the number one thing that helped you be successful early in your career? Reading. So, in there's a lot of peer-reviewed articles, and that's considered the highest level of evidence in the medical device industry. And these are papers that surgeons author submit to, you know, bodies of other surgeons that get, you know, approved and then are and then are published in various, um, you know, journals. And then there, you know, there's seven or eight of them that are published on a monthly basis amongst you know, that are the prominent ones. And I read an article or two from every single one of them every single month for the first two months. I'm sorry, two years. And then even now, I try to read, you know, as much as I can. So just doing the homework, becoming a student of your industry, and mastering everything that you can in front of you. Tell me more. What other thing? That's great. Tell me more. What What other things did you, what other things did you engage in to be a student of your industry? So on top of that, one of the big teaching points to the sales team is what the surgical technique looks like. So in some of the some of the implants, you have surgical techniques that are in the you know 90, 100 you know pages long, which some of the various you know opportunities or or kind of interoperative decisions you can make. So I took it upon myself to learn the learn the surgical technique of the primary knee system that I was uh, covering, and then 
in, in the role that I was in, since that wasn't the primary responsibility, uh, I became the only person on my team that really had the, no, the level of knowledge that I did. And I also took it upon myself to when you know, folks joined the team uh, that I would go and teach them how to do the same thing. So when I started in my role, there were my boss worked specifically on the joint reconstruction knee team. There was myself, uh, another girl, and that was our team. There's the three of us. And then as time grew, you know, my, my boss got a promotion and then she had a bigger team. And then it was obvious or became known in the company that the hip business didn't have the same type of support that that the team I was on was providing to the knee team. So my team essentially got you know, removed from the knee team and was directed to support both hips and knees. And then with that came additional headcount as well. And as all these people, you know, we, we grew to a team of nine and, you know, I literally tripled in size. As, as new people joined, you know, the team, I took them through various uh, surgical techniques on what our products are and then how they are used. And I did that so that way, one, I could stay proficient myself. And then two, you don't really know something until you teach it. So I use those as learning opportunities for myself as well. Okay. Well, I was excited to have this conversation, Nick, because I know you're not at Johnson & Johnson anymore, and we talked a little bit about um, why that is, but I wanted to get it on, I wanted to record it and get it out there so people can hear more about how things like this happen, because, well, let, let's just start here. Let me just ask the question. So you're not at Johnson & Johnson anymore. Why aren't you at J&J anymore? So that's correct. I'm no longer with uh, Johnson & Johnson. I'm with a different medical device industry in, in the in the space called Zimmer Biomet. So about a year about a year ago, um, Diffuse Synthes went through a reorganization. Uh, they decided to make more people in the field and have less people in, in the corporate um, setting. So there were about 50 new headcount made that were more regional and, and local based. And then about a couple months after that, you know, across the board, you know, the these lost some headcount at the corporate level. The team I was on went from nine down to six, and I was one of the three that no longer had a role after the re reorganization was complete. There was nothing that was due to poor performance or or anything I had essentially done to myself or, or the other folks on my team that also had their roles eliminated. It was simply that, you know, after a certain date, the role no longer existed, and Package, a severance package was offered, and then you, you know, compete to find new jobs in the company or find new opportunities outside of the company, which is what I ended up uh, ultimately doing. Yeah, gotcha. Um, tell me, and I'm not asking you to get into the strategy or certainly to share any secrets, but why did they increase headcount in the field and therefore decrease headcount in the in, at the corporate office? You know, I can't disclose any secrets because that was really never made <laughs> totally clear to me, to be honest. I mean, I can I can assume that the the way that you know, the company wanted to move was to um, just have more folks locally and have less folks at a corporate position. Um, now that's kind of the best I can offer. Okay, so your your position was basically eliminated. Now you said something to me earlier before we hit the record button that I thought was interesting. You said one of your biggest fears before coming to corporate America was, do you remember the question I asked you? Yes, I, I certainly do. So when you're, you're thinking back to the, you know, do I get out of the military? Do I not? Do I stay? You know, you know your, your biggest fear is when you leave the military and then you go to corporate America and then you lose your job in corporate America and all of a sudden you're back to square one. 
and sometimes you scratch your head like maybe I should have stayed in or maybe right. you know was this the right decision or, or am I happy I did it anyway and that's uh, right. you know when I was when I was going through my transition that was my open my biggest fear was <laughs> you know having a job okay so now that you've gone through this and now what now how do you feel tell me tell, tell me your uh, yeah now that you've gone through a layoff and not everyone goes through layoffs frankly but now that you've gone through it tell me is that is that founded and let's just kind of walk through that for a moment first off is that is that a founded fear like should you be afraid of a layoff i don't think you should ever be afraid of one you should take steps to be prepared for one and you know that's things like you know you always hear people talk about keep some some cash in reserve and you know keep your resume up to date you know continuously network so that way you know of opportunities that are coming available you know things that you may want to be doing in the future but don't live in fear like you're gonna get laid off the next day i that's not really you know effective you know what i've found is you know all the prep work that i did leading up into the the career conference, you know, that I had done back in November 2015, as soon as I was gearing up for another job interview, you know, round of job interviews, all that work came right back, just like riding a bike. So some of the stories about, you know, tell me about a time when you were in charge of something and had a successful result, you know, all those stories came back up and, you know, were as effective in round two as they were in round one. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I've been through a layoff myself. I, I know I shared that with you. Um, and in my experience, you know, I, I'd been with a company for eight and a half years. And so when that happened, I had built a skill set at an organization that allowed me to sell it to a lot of other organizations. You know, I think in the military, if you're not selected for the next level of promotion, it's like, oh, crap. Well, I mean, it's very binary. I'm not going to be in the military anymore. But I mean, look at look at what you did. Now, I I chose to do something else. And if you ever looked at my LinkedIn profile, you could see what I did. But basically, if you look at your background, and it's like, well, okay, I'm not at J and J anymore, but I have a skill set, a specific marketing skill set in an industry. And J and J is not the only player in town. So now you're at another orthopedic company, direct competitor, I assume, but maybe not, maybe not. I don't know. You you can fill us in on that. And um, and doing some similar work not not the same but similar so uh, right now that you've already been through it this this is my story to, to anyone who will listen now that you've been through it and realize oh wait i have a skill set i i can sell this to other companies at any point and not have to worry about it not, not to say that anyone enjoys getting laid off that would be probably not accurate obviously but but like to be worried about it like no you've you've got skills I mean, if it was performance related, it'd be one thing, but it wasn't performance related. So tell me, tell me the, about the company you work for now. So now I work for a company called Zimmer Biomet, and like say it's a direct competitor in the orthopedic space. I'm in a different segment now. I'm on the foot and ankle side. I used to be on the hip and the knee side. But other than that, it comes down to the same fundament, fundamentals, the same, you know, the way that implants impact the bone in one joint are the same in another joint. So all of that knowledge and expertise and that skill set that was developed over three and a half years of studying my, you know, you know, period articles and everything in, in my previous yeah. role applied directly to my current one. And I'm, you know, the reason I wanted to get into the medical device industry in the first place is because the job matters. Because it's not like you're going to go out and you're you're counting widgets or you're supervising this. I mean, the implants go into people's lives. People go from not being able to walk 
being bedridden, being living in immense pain to be able to getting back out in life and being able to hug their grandkids and go for walks and, you know, life-altering surgeries. And whether that's with Johnson & Johnson, who's ever buying that, or most of the other medical companies that are out there, the med device right. industry as a whole is just really resonates with the fact that, like I mentioned earlier, I don't want to be a combat arms guy for my entire life because I thought I had a, a better purpose than simply, you know, just maneuver. So all that kind of, you know, is relevant and is what I took to my next role that I currently have now, where I'm still in a, a job that matters to me, that I still get motivated to wake up and go do every day. And I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm proud of the work that I'm doing and I'm happy of the industry that I'm in. Good, man. So yeah, before we hopped on the phone, you, you know, you were doing a, you were doing project work at Depew. Now you're doing product work now. Am I, am I remembering that accurately? Yep, that is absolutely correct. So now I'm responsible for uh, one implant that is out on the market. I'm responsible for new product development of a future implant that's going to be out on the market. And then I'm also okay. responsible for some other smaller parts of the portfolio as well. And, okay. you know, in terms of, you know, supply chain, in terms of, you know, making sure products is where it needs to be and there's collaterals made for those those products. I mean, you know, the, the whole the whole realm of marketing is now under my purview in this new wow. in this new role. So can you can you describe a you know what's a day in a life like for you? For all of my army former army brethren, it's like being an executive officer at the company level, where you wake up and you think you're going to accomplish this one big task, and then you get so much other stuff you have to deal with during the day. You cover those things, and towards the end of the day, you start to get done that one thing you needed to get done. And just, there's just so many things that just you know pop up. You know, I support base business, so if there's a, a supply disruption that you know kind of took us by surprise, I have to go help solve that. If we need to, you know, we need to start making you know a bigger emphasis on training sales the sales team on different aspects of the portfolio than what we thought we needed to be. You know, you know, pivot and go support that. Um, just like in every, just like in the military, just like in corporate America, meetings pop up that are emerging issues, and you go, that takes some of your time as well. It's just, you know, in an ever-changing um, calendar, which I, I enjoy. So, so how do everything. you stay organized, then, Nick? What do you? What are some of the tips that you could give us to to being organized in situations like that? It comes down to making a system. You know, it doesn't matter what your system is; it just has to have one consistently. For me, I leave. I'll, I'll double click on the email on Outlook and leave it open. And then when I get that task done, I X out of it. So that way, I, whatever's up on my screens, what I need to be working on, obviously you go through the, you know, prioritization levels and, you know, the, the, the more prominent things get dealt with before the, you know, the secondary tertiary uh, responsibilities. But that's just whatever system works for you to stay organized and on top of things, do that and do it religiously. Yeah, gotcha. Um, all right, so where do, where do you think your career goes from here? Like, what's next? And I'm not asking you to predict the future, but what kind of things are you thinking about right now? So, I'm thinking about gaining more. I'm gonna I'm gonna just call it prominence in my role. I essentially want to um, have responsibilities for a greater segment of the portfolio than I currently do. That's likely going to be, to lead to a people management position, and the you know, I'm totally happy to to go and do that. You know, I would love to. I really enjoyed mentoring when I was in the army. That was and still is the thing that I miss the most. But when I think of, you know, what do you want to do next? You don't need to know 
a specific task, you need to go to your boss and say, hey, I want to be the associate director of this marketing position and put me on a path there. But you right. kind of want to know where, like, at least which direction you want to be heading towards. Um, that's actually something if I could critique myself from my previous role in J&J, I really didn't have, you know, a decision where I wanted to go. And now that I kind of, you know, see, you know, in, in another you know company and you kind of heard some of the podcasts that, you know, you do with other, you know, JMOs who have you've been out for a couple of years, you know, being proactive with your manager, telling them what you want to do will help yeah. get you to where you want to go. And it doesn't have yeah. to be a spot. Like I want to, you yeah. know, right now I, I have one piece of the portfolio. I want the next two or three pieces all under my purview. That's going to involve people behind it as well. And so how are you, that's great. That's great feedback. So how are you actively doing that right now? That's a really good question. Um, outside of reading, I'm being proactive with um, with my manager and telling her I want to, you know, this is where I want to go. I'm asking her yeah. feedback on what types of things do I need to do to be, to be okay. positioned for those and what types yeah. of books or skills can I learn now so that way yeah. in a year or two, it, it takes a year or two to sure. go from point A to point B. I started my role sure. about six months ago from the time of recording. Uh, my boss actually started her role about three months prior to that, and we're in a, a growth spot right now. So, you know, I'm not just going to you know, be a director tomorrow. It's not, it's not going to happen. Right. You have to right. you know, stay the path and, and you know, kind of you know, build to that next level and right. practically communicate that's where I want to go. All right. So what about some parting advice for, you know, someone who's listening to this podcast, still in the military? either on the fence or, or going to make the transition here in the not too distant future. Tell us one thing that we can use to, uh, to go and apply and be successful. Follow your heart. If you enjoy what you're doing, it doesn't really matter who you're doing it for or, or where you're doing it because you'll be happy for yourself. And that's the thing that matters the most, at least matters the most to me. Follow your heart. Gotcha. Okay. Let me, let me, that's great. Let me dig into that a little bit. When you say follow your heart, Tell me more. What does that mean? So, like I mentioned earlier, you know, I enjoy working in the medical device industry because I, in, to me, the job truly matters. I'm not saying that anything else doesn't, but for me, I really enjoy working in the med device industry. And even when I could have chosen to, you know, literally open myself up to moving anywhere for any job, I chose to stay in, in, in the same town I was in, within the same device that I was in, or same industry, yep. excuse me, medical device. And because yeah. that's where my, my passion truly lies. And if you're you know, in the military, it's like if you don't like this the job you're in currently because you know it's going to change the next 12 to 18 months. Like that's not what I'm saying. But if you don't like the military structure, you know, maybe it's time to hang up the hat and try a corporate world. If you are just worried about the one current boss you have, you know, maybe you stay in. If you like the military but not the current environment, you know, give it some time and that'll change too. So follow your heart. Nick, it's been great to chat with you. You and I haven't chatted in a while, but obviously we we chatted a lot while you were in this program, and uh, and I'm mm -hmm. glad that uh, I'm glad that we met, and I'm glad you could we could hear your story because I think your story is one that that you know it's, it's it, again people don't get laid off all day every day in corporate America, but it certainly happens, and when it does, you know I was glad that we met and that we chatted because I wanted people to hear the message that. Yeah, things happen, but when you build a skill set and when you have success in an industry, you can uh, you can manage your career effectively even in the face of uh, of turmoil and uncertainty. So, 
I'm glad that you joined us. I appreciate your time and uh, and kind of telling us your story today. Good to chat with you again. Yeah, well, thanks. I couldn't agree more. It's been my experience. I'm you know, thankful for the opportunity to you know, potentially speak to more JMOs. And thank you. Thank you so much.